We're told that when someone dies, the crow carries their soul to the land of the dead. Then sometimes, the crow can bring that soul back to put the wrong things right. Didn't we kill that guy? Ciao, people, and welcome to our 201st episode of Happiness and Darkness, the superhero movie podcast, where we discuss superhero movies from Marvel, DC, Dark Horse Image, and more. Naturally, there will be spoilers, folks, so you have been warned. I am one of your co-hosts, DJ Nick, and as always, joining me is my podcasting partner in crime and a man who has been to the middle of nowhere, Mr. Keith Bliss. Hey, Keith, how are you today? Ah, uh, you know me. It's another wonderful day. It's about 110 degrees outside. I'm trying not to melt. Oh, same here. Same here. The, the heat has definitely, uh, definitely come to Italy as well. And uh, I'm still trying to not use my air conditioner just yet. But of course, you know, really? making more and more trips to the shower and having those cold showers. So I guess eventually I'll probably succumb and turn on my air conditioner because it's, it's definitely getting hot. You'll have it on for like a whole three days and then turn it back off again. <laughs> that could be the plan that could actually be Probably. the plan so I, think, so I think that's what we'll do but in the meantime while we wait for that today folks we are discussing the crow wicked prayer the fourth and so far final movie of this franchise from 2005 this was directed by lance munja who co-wrote the film with jeff most and sean hood this was based of course on a novel by norman partridge which in turn, turn was based on the original james obar comics so, uh, Keith, what are your general thoughts on so far this final chapter of the Crow franchise? Uh, if I get someone up in one term, uh, dumpster fire. It was just, I, I inflicted this movie upon my girlfriend. I, I love her to death, and she put up with my insanity. I was like, hey, honey, let's watch this. She's like, ugh. I was like, yeah, I know. So it, it was definitely a, a bit of a, a struggle to watch. The And we'll talk about it, obviously, as we review it, but I'm glad it's over, and I feel like I need like trauma counseling because it was that bad. Wow. Okay, well, I'm going to say this. I'm going to use a <laughs> quote from, from Mr. Burns in The Simpsons. I know what I hate, but I don't hate this in the sense really? that I was really expecting much, much worse because I had seen, <laughs> you know, I'd seen that there was this... Uh, you know, if you go for that kind of thing, when it comes to, I think, the Rotten Tom Tomatoes and IMDb, this has a rating of zero, which yes. tells you, I think, everything. I'm like, oh, my God, this is going to be horrible. But then when I started looking at the cast, I'm like, wow, we've got uh, Edward Furlong. We've got Danny Trejo. We've got uh, Tara Reid. We've got some interesting good actors. And heck, we have Dennis Hopper, of all people. So Dennis Hopper boggles my mind, by the way, how he did that, that whole his whole character and how they got him is amazing. It is. I mean, maybe uh, he owed uh, Lance Munja a favor, or maybe they were in college together or so. It's like, remember when I helped you for that thing? You're going to help on do my bites. movie. <laughs> exactly. Maybe they were drinking buddies. Who knows? But here's the thing. Compared to the other two we'd seen before, of course, City of Angels and Salvation, I actually preferred this to Salvation in the sense that I can see what they're trying to do. And the story itself is not too bad. Per se, but the problem is, I think it's a very confused movie, in the, to say the least, in the sense that the story I think they're trying to tell is the whole, at least the, the way I see it, is all about faith and, you know, and coming maybe from different 
ideas of faith, be it, be, it, be it Satanism, be it Christianity, be it Native Americans, be it Catholicism or Christianity, and maybe how that influences the choices that people make of that particular faith or not, or heck, even agnostics as well. Mm-hmm. So there is that lot that I think that, that obviously the spirituality, heck, it's in, it's in the, the title, Wicked Prayer. And of course, prayers are what one does when they want to talk to a deity, be it a Satan, God, B- Buddha, what have you. So I, I appreciated that aspect of it. And who doesn't love a movie about a satanic cult? I mean, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's a thing. Yeah, it's a, it's a thing. You really can't go wrong. You're like, oh, it's a satanic cult? All right, I'm in. Just sign me up. Yeah, so there is that. And the acting wasn't bad because, by and large, we have decent actors. But the thing was, what I was trying to figure out was, are we dealing with a Latin community or a Native <laughs> American community? Because Thank was- you. <laughs> I mean, I had the same problem. I'm sitting there like, wait a second. Did you say the Native Americans? And yet it's clearly a Latino uh, cast. And I was like, I'm very confused what's going on here. Yeah, because because you know the whole... I guess idea of it is the satanic cult is out for revenge. Revenge on what? I'm not sure just yet. But they have it out for um, for our protagonist, for Jimmy, because he has fallen in love with a Native American girl. But we don't. None of them look like Native Americans. First off, like we said, no. and secondly, they all have you know Latin Latino names. You know, from Padre Harold to all that. It's, that was was most confusing. I'm like, what are we doing here? Are we dealing with Native Americans? Are we dealing with uh, Christian Hispanics? And then there was at the very end, she's, she's making a prayer in Spanish. And I'm like, wait a minute, you're some Native Americans. I'm so confused. Like, what is happening here? And, you know, they were supposed to be the four horsemen of the apocalypse, which I, I actually appreciated that to an extent. Like, they tried, and it was a very interesting interpretation. But even then, like, they're justification behind some of the stuff they were doing like the guy who played pestilence made no sense whatsoever in terms of the rest of the group and i was like all right i I guess we'll run with this to see how it works out so i'm with you there was very confusing undertones and it just like you said the premise was good i just think they just didn't know how to execute it properly because i think they're if given it's a true Native American cast, I think it actually would have been really good because it would have led itself more on the you know Native American spiritual, all the deities because they have them for all the different everything's. But then you know you say A and you show me B, and I'm like, wait a second, how did we get here? And I spent half the movie confused more than anything else. Yeah, or if not, just make it a literally a Latino, you know, Hispanic community, or say a Mexican community, and mm-hmm. maybe have your satanic cult being almost like white supremacists who don't want right. anything to do with with the whole Hispanic culture, which would have played into sadly thing uh, something which is still very much uh, a thing today, which is the this this you know white supremacism and hatred towards african americans and asian americans and hispanics and such so that could have worked better i think and the other thing that i, that I was kind of scratching my head about is the four horsemen are out for vengeance but vengeance on what as in are they like these people taking away our jobs i mean what was the deal so one of them which made sort of made a little sense was the guy who played war his siblings were killed in a cave-in on the the mine or in the mine right. rather so 
His made sense in terms of famine. I have no idea. The guy, David Borealis, or whatever his name is, he was supposed to be the head of the group, but his rationale for his vengeance, which they do explain eventually in the movie, just didn't make sense past that point. He was His father was killed over, what was it? $24.66 or $42.66, mm-hmm. some dollar amount by a guy who had since turned over a new leaf and was repenting. So it's like that I got after that it was all just didn't make any sense whatsoever with pestilence, famine. I was like pestilence. You're like a bug guy or some sort of whatever. And you deal with chemicals and you're dying from cancer. Okay. That's your own thing. It wasn't like somebody poured, you know, all this stuff on you or you were exposed to it as a child, you literally willingly did this to yourself. So yeah, I'm with you. I I suppose that's maybe what, maybe they're just angry at society for doing them wrong in some form or shape. And that's why maybe they turn to the path of evil, i.e. join the satanic cult. And I suppose that that's, that's the, their deal is look at, you know, Christianity has never helped anything and society has never helped will go down the left-hand path and become a satanic cult and then wreak vengeance on the world by bringing Lucifer back on earth, which I guess is the premise for the most part. And I get where yes, they're coming from. Something. But had it been, I'm not saying they have to spell it out for us, but had it been made a little bit clearer, you could have almost have been rooting for uh, Luke and Lola because they were done wrong. It's like, you see like this disenchanted youth which is now turning to a satanic cult because they're so disillusioned with society, with Christianity, and with, and with all those values. They just have nowhere to go. So what do they do? They turn to a satanic cult. Now, I am not going to, um, how could I put this, criticize r- real Satanists because there are, I, there are Satanists yeah. out there who are not bad people. Right. It's the movies that make Satanists look bad. As in, Agreed. they're more free-spirited, if you will. Actually, you know, I used to think like this myself. I actually sat down with some Satanists and talked to them. And like the stuff you see in the movies, it has nothing to do with what we do. So it's like, okay, yeah. fair enough. So it's, it's kind of, I suppose, you know, a primarily Christian culture looking at Satanism and automatically saying Satan, Satan is evil. Right. It's the literal demonizing of a different group. It's the same thing with, you know, individuals like the people who practice Wiccan. They're like, oh, well, it's witchcraft. It's all blah, blah, blah. Like, no, it's just you say that because of, you know, what you've read in a book somewhere or what somebody's told you or what you've seen on TV or what that one person or group has done. Overall, 99% 99% of the time, they're actually very nice down-to-earth individuals, and they're more um, humble than most people give them credit for. So, yeah, it's just everybody needs a bad guy somewhere, and they're like, well, if it's Satan, they always have to be bad. Well, it's like, not necessarily, just based on context. I mean, isn't the Church of Satan literally recognized in the States as a cult, as a religion? I believe it, it was at one point. I don't know if it ever fell out of that standing but yes at one point it was recognized as a true actual religion you could become a member of yeah yeah and think you can openly identify as a satanist in the mm-hmm. sense that you know you were part of the church of satan so uh, so there is that but uh, so as, as i mentioned before uh, i 
it, it, it the premise was good. The story could have been, yeah, it done a little bit better. Um, and yeah, had had maybe things been a little bit made clearer, you could have even had more of a, like I said, more of an ambiguous movie, as in you don't have just the good guys and the bad guys. You could almost maybe sympathize with some of the other characters. And I think that might be Lola's character, which of course we will get to here shortly. Yes. So uh, let's get to then our characters on the board, starting off by looking at our fourth crow himself and his girlfriend. We have Edward Furlong, yes, John Connor himself, as Jimmy Cuervo, and Emmanuel Shrieky as Lily ignites the dawn. So what did you make of our boyfriend and girlfriend in this one, Keith? There was just no chemistry with those two. You see them on screen together, and it was just very awkward, like, no pun intended, square peg, round hole. It just, I didn't sense romance or chemistry with them, especially the scenes where he's kissing her. And I'm like, this just seems like awkward. And like, I don't want to be here anymore. Like, please stop. Just something about it just didn't rub me the right way. No pun intended. Um, it, it just, I don't know if it was him. I'm not a big fan of Furlong and he just, I, I don't know. I watched him and I just was like, wow, they could have literally gotten anybody and they could have would have done just as good of a job as he did in this role. Her, she, you know, the, the Lily character wasn't around really long enough to see her develop into anything other than a plot device to get everything kind of to where they had to be like uh, with her and that, what was it? The crow something or other. It was, I guess it was their religious group or sect was a crow something or other and she was just there to really kind of like oh i'm the humane side of him i'm the, the human blah 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 and, and just to kind of give him the reason to come back because every crow is wrongly murdered or him and a loved one are wrongly murdered and that's what kind of resurrects them so i think she was more of unfortunately a plot device than really any type of character development you know, you see her brother and father in there more than you do her. And she's supposed to be the big, you know, cause behind him coming back to, you know, seek vengeance. And yet she has like, what, 10 lines in the whole movie, if we're lucky. And that's it. And you know what? I'm so glad that Emmanuel went on to bigger and better things. Now she's literally killing it in Superman and Lois. And I know that she's doing, she did some great stuff after. I mean, and I know this is a very shallow comment to say, but she, she's always been an incredibly good looking woman. And even here, when she was even younger, you're like, yeah, she's, she's definitely very, very attractive, but I will agree with you. There is, you've literally feel no chemistry between Jimmy and Lily. It almost seems like Edward is more into it than she is. Like when oh, the 100%. When they're making out and stuff, she seems like it's almost almost seems forced on her. And like, I'm not genuinely attracted to this guy. And even if I have to fake it, I can't fake it to where I'm I'm attracted to him. And and yeah, so I guess that that already kind of hurts the movie because these two are supposed to be madly in love with each other. And at its core, the crow stories are always about love in some form or shape, be it between a man and a woman or between a father, you know, a father and, and son or all kinds of things. Something, yes. Yeah. Because that's what kind of is really it's vengeance, but it's also love that kind of is what is behind these the crow stories. So he, I agree with you because even when he's like laying her down on the bed and he's kissing on her, she she's like she can't wait. He almost seems like she can't wait for it to be over. You know, so it's like okay, well, 
you know the thing is like i'm watching this and like you could have literally told me like this was a sexual assault scene because that's the kind of like ugh, that i got the vibe i got from it on the bed you know because there's that flashback scene where you see somebody else force themselves upon her and ed's character beats the crap out of him like that's the same kind of vibe i got with him and her in the bed scene i was like should we really be watching this i'm like i, I don't know it's whatever so yeah I, I mean i it's you know we're, we're not joking about how it sounds but yes there was very little chemistry and, and more awkward than anything else yeah i mean granted compare comparing this you know to these couples like the best movie in the bunch i.e. the very first crow you very much felt there was love between our leads or if you will our our lovers because even there eric draven's uh, girlfriend literally is only seen in flashbacks and so we don't really get to see enough of but you still can feel that love which i think is also you know kudos to the director in that case for making you feel that alex Proyas, who makes you feel really good about that here i will also say ed did not look healthy in this movie no i mean no. maybe it's also because he has to play that kind of character looks a bit a little bit gaunt and a little bit kind of you know doesn't get much sleep and just seems like rather out of it most of the time and I do believe that in real life, he was going through drug problems and alcohol. So I think you're right. So, and I know that's what kind of, kind of, you know, made him, lost him some, some gigs and stuff when it came to acting, because like, unfortunately, a lot of young actors, when they get success, some of them fall down these dark paths of drugs and alcohol and what have you. And he, he seemed incredibly unwell in this film. I mean, okay, as I said, you do have, you have the, the face painting and stuff, but there was just something about him like, you don't look like you're in a good place here, buddy. And and I know that the character is supposed to be dark and looking kind of dismal and stuff, but you look at Brandon Lee. Yes, he's playing this, this uh, spirit of vengeance, but he doesn't look like he's sick. Well, you look at any other or almost any other iteration of the crow and they don't, other than the guy who peeled his face off, which was weird. But, you know, you look at the crow TV series, and he doesn't look like that you don't get that perception of the character the one scene where edward's character is setting his um trailer on fire which made literally no sense whatsoever he might as well have been on like a drinking bender that was the kind of vibe i got off of that or you know he was on a really bad acid trip i, I it didn't come off as him grieving it was more of like i'm you know scorched earth kind of scenario none of this really screamed um crow type characteristics that we've grown accustomed to based on the other movies and tv series i i think so too and i also love the fact that I, i'm sure this is probably james obar the guy who writes, writes the comics is every character who plays the crow you have to have a last name which translates into crow yes like, okay literally crow I mean, he can't be jo John Smith can never become a crow, you know, nope. even if they if they burn his house down and kill his dog and murder his family, he can never become a crow because he doesn't have the last name that translates into crow in some way. So I'm like, that's very sad. You have to have that name. The, the, it gets almost like a curse, per se, or yeah. something. Yeah, like I could never become a crow. My last name is Bliss. I yeah. could never, you know, seek vengeance upon somebody if anything, you know, any wrongdoing was, you know befell me or my loved ones i nope i have to change my last name to crow and 100 percent going to be resurrected so i love the fact that you know james obar loves to do this with his characters but I'm like sometimes it's a little bit on the nose when as soon as you have the last name which is either corvus 
or Cuervo or even Draven, as in D Raven, you're like, okay, you know that guy. He's like, don't worry, dude. If anything happens, you'll get vengeance. You know, so <laughs> you're safe. The rest <laughs> of us are all screwed. You mean outer space ship blows up? He's the only guy that's going to get out of it. That's right. So I, I kind of had to chuckle at that. But then, of course, when he goes on his whole rampage, I mean, for the most part, it was interesting, I guess. I mean, granted, the crow gets uh, maimed very quickly in this particular movie, which was an interesting choice, as in he gets a tomahawk thrown at his wings and boom, crow's almost dead. But mm -hmm. I guess here what drives him on is supposed to be his love for Lily, even though. And then, of course, you know, we get that Native American dance, the crow dance, if you will, which uh, which then brings the crow back. And so Jimmy gets his uh, his invincibility back. But it, throughout the, all the rest of that, he literally comes back. I guess it's because love. Is that what we're supposed to get, uh, glean from this? Sure. Maybe. I don't. Okay, we'll go with that. I'm just, I don't know, because I'm with you. There's that one scene, and I kid you not, I blinked and missed it, that the, the crow got um, hurt. I'm sitting there like, what happened? My girlfriend's like, they hurt the crow. And I was like. Did I, I looked like I literally looked away for a split second because it was right when they had gone into, um, I'm going to say it's a community center with yeah. the family doing the, the birthday party or whatever. And dude had a shotgun, which didn't make any sense, but whatever. Um, yeah, I, I literally did something. I wasn't paying attention for like a split second. And the next thing I know is they're under the tarp and he's grabbing a little kid from getting his face blown off by war. And then I'm sitting there confused and my girlfriend's like, oh yeah, by the way, you know, didn't you see that? I was like, no, no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> no, because it is very fast. It is very much a blink and you'll miss it. That a tomahawk is thrown at the crow and it's not able to fly away fast enough. And so boom, down goes the crow. And so of course we know at this point that if the crow gets injured, the uh, avatar, if you will, of the crow is no longer going to be invincible. So yet he takes a hell of a beating, gets shot multiple times. He's still standing, but he, I guess the wounds don't heal. So he's, I guess it reflects the fact that the crow isn't the crow, the animal itself is not dead. So he still is like able to carry on doing his thing, but at the same time, he won't heal properly. So it's kind of like his healing factor is out of whack. I suppose that's what it is because the crow itself is not actually dead, but it's dying. So I guess that's what it is, possibly. I, I, I think, yeah, sure, we'll go with that because I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, because I, I think because when, Again, since I, it was a blink, I missed kind of scenario. He puts the crow down, and it's like half, it's almost dead when they do that um, dance of whateverness that were the crow dance, we'll call it. And then all of a sudden, he's like, Bing, I'm all better. And you're like, uh, uh, Okay. Like, you could have just probably put a band aid on it, and he would have been fine too, but from whatever. Well, I guess it's because it's the whole thing. I suppose the cold concept is obviously supposed to be the fact of how strong spirituality is in this movie and your faith. The strength of your faith, no matter how, in what direction it is, has that power. And even mm -hmm. possibly somebody who's no longer a believer is able to bring that. And so through the power of faith, the crow is back. And of course, because we have to have our hero win, you kind of have mm -hmm. to have him get his invincibility back. Or, or something. Yeah, sure. We'll go with that. There's like the, <laughs> as we always like our cliche, the shit, I have five minutes left and they just magic something. And that was it. They literally magic him back to life. Yeah, because he, you know, at this point he has to fight Lucifer. So, like, yeah, how do we end this now that he doesn't have his invincibility? I know, crow dance. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. He's literally fighting a devil. How do we fix it? I know, crow dance. <laughs>
and go. Hundred percent, I'm with you on that one. I don't, I, I, I don't know. It, it's very funny, like you know, as we joke about it, almost every episode recently, or I do at the very least, is we get that you can almost set a watch to it. Like you're like, well, we have ten minutes left or twenty minutes left, some you know, short period of amount of time when they're like, well, you have three minutes. How are we going to solve this problem? I know MacGuffin device, and you're like, all right, have at it. Exactly. And so yeah. everybody gets their vengeance, and everybody's happy. <laughs> <laughs> Happily ever after. I guess he's dead now, sort of. He's, I don't know, maybe. And he's in the afterlife with his girlfriend. He proposed finally, and they're living their dead, happy little after. I, I don't, something like that. I suppose that's how it goes. So uh, I guess then moving on, then let's get to, yes. uh, as I mentioned, faith and stuff. Let's get to Lily's grieving father, because we have to talk about this guy. Danny Trejo, of course, a man who's been in pretty much every other movie you've ever seen, folks, as Padre Harold. So what did you make of, of Danny's role in this one, Keith? When I saw him, I was just like, wow. And that's what that's where the confusion started, because he's supposed to be you know, you see her and you're like, okay, you don't really, you can't tell her nationality, but you, then you see Danny Trejo and you're like, he is clearly, you know, of Spanish descent. And you're like, but these are supposed to be Native Americans. And then you see his, uh, his son and he's again, clearly Hispanic. And you're like, what is happening? And like the entire movie, I'm just sitting there confused the whole time. And every other scene you had him or they had him, he had a Bible in his hand, which I thought was funny. Like if you at the very end, he's doing the, the the crow dance, Bible in hand, no T-shirt, Bible in hand, no shirt. I'm like, um, put the Bible down there, guys. Uh, he was, I mean, good enough. He's very much what we've all come to expect in terms of um, acting wise. He's good enough. He's not great, but he's not terrible. I, I think he's very much he enjoys what he does. So like, he's gonna just ham it up to the umpteenth degree, and he's gonna go with it. Yeah, and I agree with you. And this is exactly where, like you said, the confusion begins. Because, I mean, they use that that racist slur towards Jimmy, as in they call him, you know, an engine lover, which I hate to uh -huh. use that word, but that, you know, there's no way it's not saying the I word. I guess they could say the I word, but that's what they call him. So you're assuming that that's a Lily, and if she actually has a Native American name, because she's called Ignites the Dawn. And yet her dad is Christian. So I guess either he moved away from the Native American tribe and became a pastor because he's literally a padre. So I'm assuming he maybe left the, 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 the tribe, if you will, and embraced Christianity. And that's why he's kind of like moved away from the old traditions. So he seems like a little bit um, you know, reluctant when the, the rest of his, his friends and folks are saying, we have to do the crow dance because the crow is here and, uh, and he'll avenge everybody. And that's why you know, he then takes off his shirt and shows off his millions of tattoos. I mean, he, you and him could definitely have sit down and have a lot of talks on that, Keith, I think, because that man has some serious ink on him. But uh, He has tattoos older than me at this point. I, I, I've been watching him on screen since I was in my teens, my youth, and I'm now in my 40s. So he has tattoos that are literally older than me. Most likely. But yeah, so maybe that's what it is, as in that he is... He he embraced Christianity and left and left, should we say, his Native American heritage because I guess he just wanted to do that. And, and then <laughs> Yeah, because like you said, he's got the Bible in his hands. So, you know, he I guess that that's what the deal is. And that's why at first he's like, 
I don't know, going back to these ways, if it's going to help, and I don't really believe in it and such. And then off he goes and does his fancy dancing and, and we're off to the races again. So it was, it was a little bit, had they explained it maybe a little bit better as in this, is what happened as in he became disillusioned with his tribe and decided to become a pastor. And so that's, that's what he's, do he's doing, but they don't really explain it. We don't really ever see him in a church or in anything like that. We only assume because he has the, he has the title of Padre. So that's, that's what seemed a little bit, a little bit odds to me. And I agree with you. It's clear that, you know, Danny is Hispanic. And so like, I don't see how this chap could be native American. Once again, do it about a Hispanic community, a Mexican community, or any kind of, you know, or uh, Puerto Rico or anything else. It just made no sense. And, and the only one who actually has a Native American name is Lily. Everybody else doesn't. So we're like, okay, fair enough. But uh, it was. I'm with you. It didn't, if they were like, this was an Aztec community, I'd be like, okay, fine. Like, I would have not had any issue with it. It's just every time you cut to something, it was the blah, 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 Native American something or other. And you're like, uh, okay. And they had a lot of Native American totem poles and things of that nature. And you're like, okay, fine. But then you cut to the family and the, the bulk of the cast and you're like, mm, I'm missing something here. So mm -hmm. I, I think it was just like the fact that they were like, they're native Americans. And you, if they had said native Aztec, I'm like, okay, fine. Not a big deal because, and it, and it is just, you know, a, you know, with most cultures, when you say native American, you think native American as in like dances with wolves, native American, not, mm -hmm. Um, Aztec Americans, because most of them will refer to themselves as Aztec Americans or something, you know, of whatever lineage. Like, right. So, yeah, I, I'm with you. I was very perplexed. I mean, it is Danny Trejo, so you know you're gonna get you're gonna get something out of him, and you know, mostly enjoy when he's on screen. And of course, he has to be the guy who's like, oh, Jimmy Cuervo, that good for nothing who murdered somebody and went to prison for it. And then, of course, we find out later in the movie that he was he did murder. The, the chap who was apparently going to rape Lily. And so he was kind of, he did do the time regardless because, you know, he still, he might've murdered the rapist, but you know, it's still murder. So mm -hmm. he, uh, he did his time. But even then when they start, start to hear about, when they discover about Lily being dead, because uh, I, if I recall, Jimmy leaves her body on the bed and that's where she's discovered by Harold and her brother. And so like, oh, my God, Jimmy Cuervo's up to it again and he's killing people again. So, of course, they're, they're first against him. But then they become allies because that's what you have to do because the crow has to win in some form or shape. So Before, and, it, and it escalated so quickly, like he puts her body on the bed and then the brother finds her. And then that guy from the morgue, who's also the same guy from Shark Tank, which nobody I don't think anybody catches that one, I hope. Um, the hearse driver, yes. yeah, the hearse driver. He's eating a sandwich while wheeling her out. I'm like, why is the guy from the morgue here not a guy from the hospital? Because you know, you need a coroner to you know say that she is dead or blah blah. Announce time of death and all that fun stuff. And he's just literally like wheeling her out, like it's no big deal. <laughs> eating I a know. ham sandwich. <laughs> I did. I did find that scene though rather hilarious. Where Jimmy's oh, in the yeah. middle of the road, and the guy's like, "Oh shit!" And he rushes out the hearse. He's smoking a joint while driving the hearse, <laughs> swerving all over the road. I was like, "Wow, all right, I guess we're gonna hit all the stereotypes here, kids." And of then course. And, Jimmy's and, in the road, and he's like, "Get out!" And he freaks out and running, and then he runs all the way to the cops. Apparently, is that? 
I think that's what Ace is. Yeah, he literally runs for apparently, I don't know, 100 miles because there's no reference point to a cop. And he's like, Jimmy stole the hearse with your, you know, her dead body in it, which is weirdly necrophilia, but hey, we're not going to talk about that. <laughs> and yeah, we're just, and it just like goes from there and then just like it escalates. Meanwhile, the four horsemen of the apocalypse are blowing up half the town, but the cops are too busy focused on Jimmy and his weird rampage. I'm like, you guys priorities, like you have like 26 dead in this community center, but Jimmy's taking a dead body. So let's go after Jimmy. Of course, because it's Jimmy's fault, of course. If it, all this, this and stuff it is, is all Jimmy's fault, weirdly <laughs> enough. At the end of the day, it pretty much is. I did, uh, I, though, as I said, it is, is uh, Danny Trejo. So, you know, I, I, I can't blame him too much. The movie no, kind of failed him over, over that. I, and I guess he needed a paycheck, you know, and sometimes you have to do bad movies, you know, so I, I get it. So speaking of our Horseman of the Apocalypse, Keith, let's get to the dark side of the table, starting <laughs> with three members of our satanic cult. We have Marcus Chong as war, Tito Ortiz as famine, and Yuji Okamoto as pestilence. So your thoughts on this great trio? <laughs> I just, I don't understand any of these characters. Like the people who they got to play, like Tito Ortiz, an MMA fighter, Marcus, the guy who played Tank from um, The Matrix, and Yuji, who is the villain in The Karate Kid. Talking about three random people. I mean, it was entertaining to watch, but made zero sense. And like we talked about earlier in the episode, you know, their divisive reasoning behind going after this community, like war, I kind of understood because his brothers or siblings or something with his family members died in the mine that was closing. Okay, fine. Famine, don't get it. Pestilence, don't understand. You know, they... I get it. They had to flush out the four horsemen of the apocalypse, but if they could somehow have tied all of them to say this community or just what something together in general, like, Oh, they were all in the same uh, military group. And that's why they know each other. Like, all right, cool. They're all ex Marines or ex, you know, army or ex whatever fictitious group. And you're like, that makes sense because war is obviously semi semi trained. Pestilence, mm -hmm. he knows something about chemicals, so that would explain chemical warfare and famine. He could have been a cook on a ship for all we know. And like they're just, you know, all from the military and, you know, something that tied them all together. There's literally no explanation. And then you have the ringleader who just keeps like reminding them of why they're here. But when he explains it to them and to us at the same time, you're just like, this doesn't make a lot of sense. One guy, war does, the other two are just like here for shits and giggles, basically. I, that's that's kind of the feeling I got because you know when we got the little title cards, if you will, of war. His reason is vengeance. Pestilence is here for vengeance. Famine is here. And like, okay, explain to us what this vengeance is all about. And we do somewhat get it, like you mentioned with war, whose uh, brother was a miner and died in the mines. And I suppose all of them. I I guess the the the, the obvious assumption is. They just feel wronged by society in some form or shape and thus want to take their vengeance out on their community, even though, you know, like 99.9% .9 are all innocent and got nothing to do with their grievances. But of course, they're going to take it out on everybody. And, and I, 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 my, you know, headcanon, because you have to go on headcanon with this, is that uh, possibly Luke discovered them 
as being disenfranchised, like, hey, you know, my my girlfriend and I, we've got this sweet thing going. We want to bring back Lucifer and such. So why do you join our cult? And we we can do this together, you know, be a band of of, of Satanists and uh, and take vengeance on the world. Yet at the same time, they wouldn't really have much of a role, I don't think, if uh, Luke uh, ostensibly, uh, aka Death, becomes Lucifer, because they uh, would he make them the literal horsemen of the apocalypse, or would they just be kind of scattered to the winds? It's like you've served your purpose of being my heavies, but now that I've got the power. I don't really need you guys. So you almost wonder whether they just would have become obsolete had Luke yeah. become Lucifer. I'm with you. I don't, I don't know. And I, thinking more about it. Yeah. He, even um, what's her face? Lola kind of could have potentially become expendable after that weird requirement of making love. So yeah, they literally could have all been killed right after he, you know, ascended to demonhood. I think so too, because yeah, he kind of treats them like his buddies. Like, yeah, go get some peyotes and let's get drunk and get, you know, kind of high and stuff. And Lola made all this cake with her secret in- recipe and stuff. So I guess he maybe needed them is- in- initially because he needed some toughs, if you will, to create mm-hmm. some, you know, chaos and, and such kind of similar to, I suppose, a top dollar in, in the first Chrome movie, where it's all about creating chaos fire and flames, as they would say. So I think we'll fire it up rather. And uh, so I guess that's maybe what is his whole thing of I'll get these disenfranchised people to work for me because they don't really have anything else going on. We'll give them all the drugs in the world. We'll give them all the weapons in the world. And then they can just bugger off. And if something happens to him, such is life. Because he doesn't, he, Luke is not particularly hurt over losing any of them. He's never mad no. or he's never upset. He's like, oh, well, that happened. Let's move on. So it was, it was rather, and the deaths were just crazy. I mean, yeah. I, I, was it weird? I'm trying to remember here. Was it, was it um, Pestilence who gets killed by the, um, by the insect, that, by the bug zapper? Yes, the exposed bug zapper at a, some sketchy dive bar. I'm sitting there like, that, that wouldn't necessarily, and even my girlfriend's like, that wouldn't work like that. I'm like, I know, dear. Like, yeah, I even agree with them. Like, yeah, no, I, I'm with you. Because- I was going to say, what kind of electric shock can you get from a bug zapper? Well, I mean, if he had like maybe crammed into his eye or something like that, totally. But the fact that he just like smashed his head against it, like the worst thing he probably would have done is gotten like a really bad scalp burn, possibly, mm-hmm. or his hair would have caught fire. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I don't I don't know. It just seemed kind of like that was very lazy. Usually, you know, there's some insane deaths that happen in the crow. These were all very lazy writing deaths. His was probably yeah. the weakest out of all of them. And was it War who then kind of jumps, is being shot at by um, by um, by all the by Harold and his friends, and he's literally sitting beside the crow, mm-hmm. and it's like their buddies at some point. What happened here? Yeah, they're just sitting there, and he War is sitting there. Well, what I appreciated too is the fact that he and the core are fighting. He throws his knocks his gun into the um, the fire mm-hmm. uh, pit next to him. He reaches in like it's no big deal and pulls out this gun. I was like, that that wouldn't work. Not to mention all the bullets would have gone, you know, exploded or something. Because again, it's gunpowder and you know, gun I hear that thing's slightly volatile. So that was just didn't make any sense. And he was just like holding the gun, shooting back at him. I was like, that shouldn't work. Like that literally should not work. And then yeah, two seconds later, they're sitting behind the, the wall and he's like, doesn't the crow character make some comment about not having enough ammo? 
Yeah. And and war saying like I I didn't plan this better or something stupid. Yep. Yeah. And then so he decides I, to go kamikaze and light the dynamite he has strapped to his body. Yeah, I don't know why he decided to strap, you know, 46 pounds of dynamite to his body. That just didn't make any sense at all either. Yeah, cuz like you'd think he'd want to, you know, come out of this alive, yet he right. has the maybe it, w- it was supposed to be more of a deterrent, as in if you try to shoot me, you might die too. So maybe he never had any intention of using it, but it's more like to psych people out, possibly. I, I maybe because I guess if you see a guy come running at you with all this dynamite, you're not going to be like, let me hang out and see what happens. You're going to run for the hills. So maybe mm-hmm. he, you know, he pulls that kind of card that nobody's as crazy as I am. So they're going to run away from me. Yeah. Or he uses them as projectiles, possibly. And he takes one out, lights it and throws it. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Maybe that that could be the I, I could see that potentially him throwing sticks into the dynamite, but what I find mind boggling is there's what twenty people on a hill shooting at them, <laughs> and they miss him completely. Like don't mm-hmm. even maim him; they literally miss him completely, and they had to have shot like a couple hundred rounds at him. You would think one of them would have hit him by accident. Most people nope. tend to be stormtroopers all the time. It's the Star Wars stormtroopers curse. Apparently, it's amazing. They went to the stormtrooper school of shooting. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Because every other villains, villains that we see seem to suffer from the stormtrooper curses. And you know, whenever you see your hero running and he's literally being chased by a halo of bullets and none of them ever hit him or her, you're like, yeah, okay. These are like related to the stormtroopers in some form or shape. I guess that's, that's what it is. I, I, I don't know. It just, it boggles my mind. Yeah. I mean, but yeah, that, that really sort of weird sort of exchange between, um, between those two characters, between War and the Crows just seemed a little bit weird. And then the fact that he's not even trying to stop Jimmy in any way, because Jimmy's supposed to be his enemy, but he's like, oh, you're going to go into the church and try and save things. He doesn't even do anything about it, because either he thinks the, the local community will gun him down, yeah, just that moment of like, oh, you're out of bullets. And like, so how are the kids? Have you seen the, did you see the game last night? Right. Kind of- yeah, yeah, exactly. What are you doing after this? You want to get, go grab a beer? Like they were best buds, like all of a sudden. I was like, that just, you would have thought they'd start punching each other or something. Like they get into a fist fight, any of it. <laughs> nope. They're literally like, hey, do you have a cigarette? No, do you? <laughs> nope. Damn it. Like literally any kind of re- insert weird conversation here. That's exactly what that was. A very weird conversation. It was very weird and very awkward indeed. So speaking of weird and awkward, let's get to the leader of our cult. We have none (laughs) other than Dennis Hopper as El Nino. So what did you make of Hopper in this movie? I lost my mind when he came on screen. I was like, what the holy crap? Like, I feel like Dennis, he's at that point in his career. He just doesn't give a shit anymore. He just does whatever the heck he wants. Because I was losing my mind i was like what what is this about and what got me is his dialogue just didn't make any sense whatsoever compared to the, like everybody else in the movie which was also slightly funny too yeah. but it was just so weird the the scene where he is marrying the two of them david's character and tara's character and he's just like all right you jive dogs all right let's bring the big dude and you're like what is happening? Are they getting married? Is he talking shit? Like what? Why? And, and even, um, who is that? Uh, Macy gray. 
Right. My girlfriend literally was like, that can't be. Like, we stopped for a second. She Googled it. She's like, holy crap, that's Macy Gray. I was, by the way, Macy Gray is in this film as well. Yes. Yeah. Another great actress, by the way. <sighs> um, yeah, that was another one. Like, her and her random, like, overly weird slang, like, just completely out of whatever. Like, ah, uh, what I tell you? I was going to split your wig the next time I saw you. And I was like, what the hell? And then Hopper comes rolling out. And I'm like, what, what am I watching? <laughs> and he was a fun yeah. watch. I will, don't get me wrong. He was this weird pimp demon something guy. Um, I guess we probably should be forgot to mention with Tara, her character Lola had a book that she stole from Dennis Hopper at some yep. point, which you, you don't know until you see the flashback. Um, she steals from him this something. Like Book of Spells, and I think it is, or whatever. I guess the, the magic book, we'll call it. She steals this book of spells and she uses that to pop the eye or uses that to do some sort of spell, pop the eyes out of Lily. And she then has her eyes, I guess they're supposed to be innocent eyes or something. Yeah, and, they, and they give her second sight, apparently. Yep. And she says some really traumatic shit, which I would hope so. Um, and then, yeah, and when he gets the book back from her, he's like, kiss the book. I'm like, what? And then you go see this flashback of her um, first time having sex as a call girl, and he's literally sitting there. Yep. And he's talking to her the whole time, which is whatever. And he makes her kiss the book, too. And I'm like, okay, this is a thing. So, I mean, uh, he was he was over the top, I will agree. Yes, 100%. <laughs> I mean, I get that he was trying. I they were obviously making a mockery of the, the you know the sanctity of marriage because obviously you know you're in a satanic cult, and so as movies have shown us, it's going to be the complete opposite of what you would expect at a regular wedding. But and I've seen satanic weddings portrayed on m many a movie and uh, and many a TV show. Uh, Penny Dreadful, for example, comes to mind when they even you know say mass where everything is completely turned upside down because of course in you know in in media satanism is obviously considered the direct dark opposite of christianity so everything will be turned upside down so you have an upside down cross and uh, the the mass will be done in satan's name and in not god's name and what have you but here like you said it was just very strange the kind of language he used i mean I suppose maybe we're supposed to think that I, this guy is also completely out of his gourd and is so high on whatever so he's just this way and he's so rambunctious and just so out of out of it and out there and that's how he's going to behave and of course we find out he's a, he's a complete slime ball because i suppose he's the cult leader by night and a pimp by day so i guess that's kind of his because of course he is of course that's, that's just how it goes right and so it does kind of explain tara's desire for vengeance because you know she was exploited as mm -hmm. a, a call girl, prostitute, escort, you know, whatever you want to call her. But I mean, it's Dennis Hopper. So like you said, he was probably at that point in his career where he was like, ah, screw it. You know, I'm just going to show up, do do some crazy stuff and then go back, go home. So and then, of course, be, be, be sure to get murdered by by Lola as well. So that's that's kind of, I guess, his shtick. But it was it was just maybe too over the top as in yeah. Well, the fact that his name is El Nino and he's played by Dennis Hopper. Yes. Like if, if Danny Trejos 
played El Nino, you'd be like, okay, I believe, you know, it, it kind of whatever, it meshes up a little bit better. But it's Dennis Hopper playing El Nino. Exactly. This weird, you know, like stoner, demon, something, something, I don't know, just something. Yeah, because we had seen this, you know, obviously the fact that um, the, the evil people had knowledge of the whole crow concept. And we'd seen this, you know, with um, Jude in, uh, in the second crow and somewhat when it came to top dollars, uh, should we say half sister slash girlfriend who knew who was an occultist herself. So there's always been, obviously, the crow's always been about occultism in some form or shape. And so I suppose this is where they wanted to bring the occult side of it through the characters of El Nino and I think somewhat through uh, Lola's character. But, you know, it's Dennis Hopper. He was having good times. Okay, this movie will probably go n- nowhere, but I'm going to do it anyway. So, yeah, and uh, and Macy Gray as well. So, fantastic. But that's what I'm saying. The cast had so much potential. Mm-hmm. You, know, you have all these great people, but you don't know what to do with them. Yeah, I, it's, 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 it's so weird because, especially, you know, you have Angel before he was on Angel and after Buffy. So I guess he was at that weird, whatever, you know, I need something to do between whatever. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I just, I, I just, I don't know. You would think <laughs> just with this cast, well, not all the cast, most of the cast, this could have been much better or like, um, what is it? Death car or whatever that movie was with mm-hmm. something like that, where it's still cheesy but it's done in a, a manner that is still better than what we got, you know, like a Quentin Tarantino kind oh, of. Oh, so you were referring to Death Proof. Death Proof, sorry, yeah, Death Guard, Death Death Proof, where Tarantino made a legitimate B movie to make the B movie, but right. he did a very good job making it. This is the we're trying to make a real movie that became a B movie. You know, there's that that fine line between it. So, I think if they had gone more like the Death Proof route. It could have actually been very good, but they got lost somewhere in translation. Uh, yeah, well, because I suppose, you know, I guess uh, when you're making a Crow movie, you you know, for the most part, you try and take the subject matter as seriously as you can and make it as dark as you can. But like you said, sometimes when you're trying to make something excessively dark and you go in certain directions, it can almost end up on the, the side of comedic or even cheesy. And I think that's that's kind of what happened here. I mean, I always keep going back to the first original pro, which is, of course, still the best out of the bunch, heads and shoulders oh, above, above the rest. But um, I think there is that because uh, Alex Proyas, when he made that movie, he very much, you know, was made it more goth, more dark and more kind of dismal and serious. But you never had really sort of any moment of cheese, if you were, were like, I can't believe they did that. So, uh, so that, that's what you have. So I guess then, since we talked about them a little bit here and there, let's look at our evil couple, if you will. We have, of course, the aforementioned David Boreanaz as uh, Luke slash Death slash Lucifer and Tara Reid as Lola Byrne. So what did you make of these two? I, I, I don't know what to do with these two. So I feel like her character was more of um, like a domestic violence partner. Like she or codependent, like she needed somebody to latch onto because all the characters, um, in much of the movie, he makes references to different things and she just kind of chuckles along with it, even though uh, David's character makes reference to how um, 
um, what's her face? Lily is the most beautiful woman he's ever seen. I've never seen anybody more beautiful than a pans to Lily and she just kind of like has that weird like eh. and that very much reminded me of a domestic violence or something along those lines type of relationship where you know she gets out of line he's going to turn around and smack her but she can't leave him because he shows her just enough attention that she believes that she is his world when in reality he's just using her to get what he needs the the ends justify the means mm-hmm. and and loose or death or Satan, whatever we're going to call him. I, I, I don't know. It was just, I, I've seen David do better and I've seen David do worse. So I think this was just one of those, him just trying to be different and it just didn't necessarily land very well. There's, you know, like the scene where he has that weird, the tuxedo at the end and he's trying to get married and that whole thing with the knife in his side. And I was like, well, that, that's whatever but then you had the flashback scene where the two of them are in handcuffs in the chain gang and i was like okay this isn't terrible the two of them together you know their chemistry weirdly enough was actually not bad you could see them being friends in some of the scenes then there's other scenes where it's just completely off the rails like um at the 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 birthday or whatever it was at the community center that just that seemed a little off so uh, I, it was good enough. I feel like this was just one of those, I needed a paycheck and this was what I had my options. Yeah, because we know that, of course, then even Tara Reid went on to do a lot, other, many more other things. And, and I believe now she's also gone to a TV as well. I think she's been in quite a few TV shows recently, aside from doing you know, a, lot of, a lot of comedy, like you know, being the, the good looking girl in like America, the American Pie movies, for example. Um, she did all 872 Sharknados. And that's true. That's why she did Sharknado as well. That's right. Um, but yeah, I, I was kind of shocked when we did see David Bordeana, of all people. I'm like, wow, okay, so we are getting Angel here. Interesting. So mm-hmm. uh, I said the and, same thing. And, I guess one can't but forget that, he, of course, he played Angel. Um, but it's true because you, when you see the flashback with, um, with uh, you know, Luke and, um, and Jimmy, they seemed like they were really good friends. And Luke was kind of, you know, after Lily himself was like, oh, you know, she's so good looking, et cetera. And, he, and Jimmy and Lily were already dating at the time. And he was kind of joking with him saying, you know, dude, that's my girl. You know, don't mess with her and stuff. But and then, like you said, the chain gang and such. And then you have this complete uh, heel turn where uh-huh. he is now like the, the soon to be or the, the, should we say, the devil to be. Or the once in future devil, or once in future Lucifer, and his girlfriend is helping him achieve his goal. And I agree with you. I think there is very much that kind of trace of possibly an abusive relationship, or heck, even just the fact of the cult of personality, as in he's going to be top dog and she wants to be there when he when that happens. Because maybe they do love each other in a twisted way, or maybe she loves him in, in her own way, because possibly it could be the fact that. He was either abusive to her or, like you said, she needs somebody to look up to and somebody to kind of take her away from her previous life of being a call girl and, and such. Even though she does show quite a, a mean streak herself when she's taking carving Lily's eyes out. So she's not exactly, you know, a, a saint either because she's done her share. But at the same time, there is that side of her that possibly 
you know, could snap and and turn her back into the uh, the good natured girl that she used to be before El Nino got his claws into her. Because at the end of the movie, once the spell is broken, I believe at that point, uh, Lola she is now a prayer. Yeah, exactly. She starts she starts reciting the Lord's prayer, and we see you know the blood coming out of her eyes because I guess she's possibly blind at this point. So yeah, I think uh, so. I don't I don't know. Maybe. Because I guess you because know, she has the, the the dark glasses on and such, and so I wonder whether at this point she's lost her sight completely, and not just her second sight. So it'd be interesting to see uh, what the case is. And of course, she gets carted off to prison because heck, you know, she did help murder somebody. So she kind of has to do her somebody, time. Lots she of bodies. To, <laughs> exactly. So she has to do her time as well. Even though as the movie progresses, she seems to be less and less keen. On what is going on as in she's happy to do the whole marriage thing but then when they're in the car and luke is in like full lucifer mode making those awful awful puns which are oh wor- worse than the ones that the penguin makes in batman returns those kind of very sort of uh, just dirty dirty slimy level so he would probably do this kind of stuff but it seemed a little bit excessive and she seems to not be enjoying it at all even when we talked about chemistry even when they're supposed to have sex before the sun rises, she once again, she does not seem particularly into it. He's no, all like, oh, all. yeah, let's get this going, baby. And she doesn't seem particularly like, OK, uh, I'm as I'm as kind of horny as you are. Let's get it on. She didn't. She doesn't seem particularly enthusiastic. So it could be that she's starting to lose her faith in awesome. evil and maybe wants to go back to good. And that that's a fair assessment because you could you kind of see the look in her face like she's realizing like okay well you know we need to get this you know do this before this point in time or else all bets are off and he is so drunk on power he doesn't care because at the end of the day he's still going to be okay and like you were mentioning she's going blind she has she's going to lose her eyesight or worse we don't know Uh, so she has a lot more to lose than say he does Mm-hmm. And that's why he is, again, so drunk on the power. Because if you think about it, if you have, I don't know, 12 hours, 14 hours to do whatever, you know, these, what is it? He had, they had to consummate the marriage, kill a virgin, and then have sex. You would think they'd bang that right out. Like, all right, we've got, I started the process, found the virgin, got married, banged it, you know, had sex, and then we start murdering everybody. Like, that'd be like the first hour. And then you have the rest of, you know, eternity to do whatever the hell evil shit you want to do. He's like, nope, we're going to do the exact opposite. We're going to go on like basically a drunken bender. And then we might get around to this task at hand. Yeah, I mean, I get the fact that they probably have to consummate the marriage on the holy ground because of the fact of obviously, you know, sacrilegious and having sex in the, in the cemetery. So I guess uh-huh. they had to find consecrated ground on which to cons- consummate their marriage. But yeah. It's, Lola is kind of flip-floppy in the sense that I don't know whether it is Tara's performance or whether it is the character. Because sometimes she seems like, what about, I'm horny, baby, let's go and have sex. And then in the car, she's like looking at him as he's making these terrible, terrible, lascivious puns. And then, you know, when they get to um, to the, the graveyard and, you know, they start trying to do these things, he's putting his pants down and stuff. And then obviously Jimmy shows up to save the day. She's like, oh, man, you know, it's all going to go to hell because now he's going to lose his uh, his powers and I'm I'm screwed. So there are moments where she like she almost doesn't want it to happen. And there are others when she seems like she does. So it is a little bit flip floppy. So I guess it might even show 
I mean, I don't want to say that Tara Reid's a bad actress because I think she's a decent actress, but I think it might just be maybe she's trying to show how confused Lola herself is. Like, part of me wants the Prince of Darkness to return. Part of me is like, this is not going to be good for humanity if this happens. So, oh, I've gone too far now. You know, it's like, it seemed cool at first, like, oh, wait, the Prince of Darkness come back and went starting to happen. Like, eh, maybe it wasn't the best idea. So it's, I don't know whether it just might be that, that she's in two minds about everything, or it's just, uh, or it's just maybe Tara didn't know how to play the, the character. I don't know. Well, there could have also been a deleted scene that we have not seen that mm-hmm. it's like, oh, she has a, you know, she hugs him or kisses him and sees a flash of a possible future because she does, it does happen to her once or twice through the, the movie, which they don't really explore and would have been great if they had just to kind of mm-hmm. show what she could or couldn't do with these, these eyes. Mm-hmm. And for all we know, there could have been a scene where he's sitting on a throne of dead bodies and the sky is raining, you know, blood. And she's seen, she had seen that. And that's why she's kind of more hesitant to, you know, consummate the marriage on Holy ground. And that's why at the end, when she's seen in the car, she starts saying the Lord's prayer. I don't, we're all grasping at straws here. And any one of them could have been great. Yeah. Cause maybe like you said, the fact that she got her second sight traumatized her because she saw so much death and destruction to where it was no longer fun anymore because she could generally experience that suffering. So she was getting more and more torn about it where she was maybe trying to put up appearances possibly for Luke's benefit of let's go. I'm horny now, or, you know, the weird looks she gives him in the car. So I think it's just that she's very much a torn character, just trying to figure out where she stands, whether do I want to go with the satanic psychopath or do I want to go back to my life of being an escort? Or Because maybe she doesn't see any possible other future for her than grasping onto this guy. So um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a tough one to, to say. I will, though, add, I did, I did kind of enjoy the, the final fight, if you will, between Jimmy and, uh, and Lucifer in the sense that uh, it was kind of fun. I mean... I, as I mentioned before, this is not the best movie in the world. But when no. J- when Jimmy got his powers back, I was literally like, "Yeah, get some, you know, go get it, you know." And I, I love that. I mean, it was just I had that. I did feel that satisfaction that Jimmy was going to finally beat the crap out of Lucifer, and and of course we get that very sort of satisfying moment where he just lifts him over onto onto the and impales him on like a cross. I think it is so uh, something. I, it was one of like the broken uh, totem poles. Yeah, that's right. Just boom on the tone bolt, dead. <laughs> well, and, and he's still what cracks up is he's got this giant thing right through his chest, and he's literally like just shredded his heart. And obviously, the sun is up, so he's losing his powers. And he's just like they're having this discussion, like it's no big deal. And there's not a giant log sticking out through this guy's chest. And then he eventually <laughs> he does his you know little monologue spiel and slits his throat. And and then the next scene is I'm going to assume the afterlife and. Correct. He and her are happily ever after something or other. Because again, that awkwardness even carried over to that end scene. Yes. I mean, I really, I really felt bad for Emmanuel in this movie because I'm like, you clearly are not into this guy. He's really into you because it's kind of hard not to be, uh, you know, into such a beautiful woman like Emmanuel Shri- Shrieky. But Ed- Edward was more into it than she was. So like you said, it did make for a very awkward moment. And I guess we then get the... the the knowledge that uh, Lola is probably going to go to jail for possibly the rest of her life, most likely. So uh, 
and may also have lost her sight in the process. So she's doubly damned, if you will, because one, she's probably going to go to prison for life. And secondly, she's going to be blind throughout the course uh, course of it. And can we just talk about how um, Danny's character was going to like blow a hole in her skull and his son was like, no stop, who happens to be uh, a cop. Meanwhile, earlier in the movie, he tried to kill the crow before he become the crow. So it's like, um, I'm going to need you guys to pick a lane with this because how can he, you know, uh, the, whatever the, the cop's name is be like, I'm fine with shooting you, but dad can't kill the person that killed his daughter. I was like, right. uh, and, and it would have been like hundred percent. Like even my girlfriend was like, justifiably. I'm like, yeah, like cause the hell's going to know you're literally it's, you know, Indian territory, you know, blah, 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 blah. And all this other crazy shit that's happened during the course of the night. She gets a hole put through her head. Nobody's going to blink an eye. This so, is true. Yeah, it was a little odd. I was his name, Tanner, the cop. So, yeah. yeah, it just, it seemed like a weird, like, that's where they drew the line. Like, well, dad's a holy person, blah, 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 blah. But meanwhile, um, the priest earlier in the movie was his name, Moses, who tried to shoot um david's character in the church picks up a gun and shoots him and that's fine like we're okay with that because david's getting his vengeance but the father getting his vengeance it's like no no like that's we're drawing a line here so would you have preferred it had lola met her end or were you happy with her being taken to prison i I mean based on all the insane stuff that happened it would have been more plausible i'm not i'm very you know indifferent i'm not condoning you know people getting killed but the fact that she tortured his daughter and the hanger and all this other crazy shit just so they could you know raise the devil i'm just saying if he snapped and killed her i'd be like uh, okay especially for again all the other weird crazy stuff that happened in this movie i it wouldn't have i wouldn't blinked an eye on it honestly well, uh, I'm right there with you because I will say that some of the enjoyment that I get from the Crow movies, kind of like my 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 good friend Zan Sprouse, I love a good a good revenge story. Yeah. So who doesn't? <clears throat> exactly. And so I'm always happy when I see incredibly evil characters on screen. Like you're smiling now. Wait till the end of the movie. So right. you know, it's <laughs> you always just wait for that moment of these god awful people. To meet their ends. And that's why I get most of my enjoyment from The Crow is seeing, you know, this guy who's literally going after these horrible people and then literally meeting their ends. And so I I mean, I'm okay with Lola going to prison because, as I said, she's probably not going to have a great time there in the sense that, uh, one, she possibly has lost her sight. And two, she's probably going to be put away there for the rest of her life. So you, um, you think that, you know, I guess she's living her own personal hell as in being blinded in prison too. So it's probably not going to be fun. Also knowing what she's done, if that gets around the inmates, you know, she's probably not going to have a, have a good time when it comes to to being in prison, as we've seen uh, in real life, when it comes to certain murderers or even abusers, and uh, they've not, uh, they've not been treated particularly well. So, um, and understandably. So bearing all that in mind, Part of me was kind of like, yeah, I would not be, I would, I would have seen, could have seen Lola meet her end and not go to prison, as we'd seen in other movie versions of The Crow, where the henchwoman or the or the the bad guy's main squeeze 
always kind of gets her comeuppance. We saw it, you know, previously when we when we watched Salvation or, or even the first Crow. Everybody pretty much dies. All the bad guys die. There's nobody. Nobody goes to prison. Right. But maybe here they everybody's like, dead. Scorched earth. All done. Exactly. And the crow can then go back to the afterlife and be with, with whoever it is he loves and who he, who he has to join. But maybe, as I said, uh, I have not read the book. And if the, no. the audio book's out there, I might seek it out just to see if this is exactly how the, the, the novel ended. And, uh, well, heck, even check out, I, I, re, I guess, the, the Obar comics. I guess this was originally inspired by, uh, by an Obar story. See if it's the same one. Well, heck, listeners, if you're out there, let us know. Because we haven't, haven't, I haven't Please read do. Them. 100%. Exactly. exactly. Really appreciate it. So I guess uh, that's pretty much uh, our movie. Did you have anything else you wanted to add on this particular film, Keith, before we got to ratings? I, I don't know. We were pretty vicious with this one. So I, <laughs> I think I, I almost feel guilty, but I, I don't. But I almost feel guilty about how vicious we were with this one. So I, any. To any of our listeners who love this whole Crow series and think we're extra vicious, you know, I apologize, but, you know, take it as it were. I would watch Highlander, the entire, all the Highlander movies again and again and again before I watch this movie. Wow. So seeing, bearing this, bearing in mind, this is our last installment and the, the, uh, apparently we'll be getting another Crow eventually. Uh, will you be, are you looking forward to that? Or do you think we don't really need any more Crow movies? Um, I think this would be one of those couldn't hurt to reboot it, assuming they flushed it out into say a two or three part trilogy, but did it in the respect of say the Hobbit or those types of movies where it's done all at one time and they just, you know, release it, you know, one every year or so, obviously because of special effects and whatnot. And the story is written like it's supposed to be three movies, opposed to, hey, the first movie did really well. Let's slap two more onto it. Like, I think if it's written properly and you have the right cast, I don't know who I would cast for any of these parts because it's they're so crazy. But I think with the right director and cast, this could actually be a very good series. And I could see this either being on a streaming service. I could see this in the movies, depending on if it's released at the right time in terms of um, this definitely would go for more of like an October style movie. Because yeah, around really Halloween, what have you yeah, possibly. Exactly. It's more of a, it's a goth style superhero-ish movie and with the right budget and everything. I think it was a, if it was like a November, October, November, where it's a lull, I think this movie would do gangbusters. I think so too. I do think there is still... There's still something left. There's still some milk left in the cash cow when it comes to this particular one. I mean, granted, it's been 23 years uh -huh. since the last, since this movie, since the Crow movie. And I think we've, there's enough distance now to be able to do one. I mean, because like I said, 23 years has have passed since, since we last got a, an actual movie, not discounting yes. the TV show, which only lasted one season, but enough time I think has passed where you can revisit the franchise and not to mention this is one of those franchises, which um, like you said, put, I think deserves a resurrection. And I think of even something like the Batman franchise where we got Batman and Robin, which pretty much almost murdered that franchise. And then we came yes. back with Nolan quite a bit of time later. They didn't like wait, you know, two, three years. It came, it came it's a, a decent amount of time had passed since Batman and Robin and that definitely deserved to come back. And I think this is the same thing because like I said, 
you could almost do a crow for a new generation at this point. You know, 23 years out, I think you could almost do a whole new generation crow. I hope they don't do a complete remake of the first movie because that was, that I think is one of those films that should kind of be left alone. You can tell a story within the crow universe, but mm -hmm. I wouldn't, if it were up to me, I would not necessarily touch the original crow with uh, with brandon lee i think that should be left the eric draven story should kind of be left alone and maybe you can try and work on other um crow stories because there were so many characters that we still yet to see who actually took on the mantle of the crow yeah i i definitely think this is uh a new character within the universe similar to say ghost rider where they've had different characters as the Ghost Rider, it doesn't always have to be Johnny Blaze. It could be um, somebody else and just leave the original character alone because the original movie still holds up fairly well. I mean, obviously it hasn't aged great, but it has aged fairly well for when it was made. What was it, like 95 or something like mm -hmm. that? So all things being considered, I think that movie is definitely a good standalone for what it was. Obviously, you know, everything happened. And coincidentally enough, it was filmed in the town I live in, Wilmington, hmm. North Carolina. So yeah, that was a thing. I, I think, oh. yeah, I, I love it. I, I liked it for what it, they just leave it alone. Don't, don't mess with it. Same thing like the original Hellraiser. The original Hellraiser was good. Then they just kind of kept going and then they tried to reboot it and it was no bueno. No, I mean, I heard, I've not seen it, but um, <coughs> some friends of mine oh, have I who have. are. <laughs> so I guess more on that later, because I have heard very, you know, um, opposing um, arguments and thoughts when it comes to that particular movie. But I agree when even the first chapter of a certain franchise does well, you don't necessarily have to remake that one. And as I said before, you can have so many interchangeable characters. Well, heck, you can even make up new stories. Well, heck, mm -hmm. get with James Zobar and ask him, you know, to maybe you know, be a consultant on the movie with you. Something. Saying, you know, do you want to, it's like, you could, you know, pick up the phone, call James, say, James, you know, would you, we want to do a new Crow movie. Would you like to write the story for the movie or be one of the co-writers on it or oversee the project? Because I think would maybe even put even more hope into another Crow movie is that the guy who literally created the, 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 the comics is literally working on the movie. And I think maybe that's something good could come of that. I agree with you. I, I think if they brought the original writer of the comic book into it, or, you know, the book, into do the series, it, it could, again, be done very well because he can actually flush out the story. He can write it in his style and it wouldn't be somebody else taking on his story. It would be him writing his own story or continuing the story he has already started. And it would be in his type of writing style. It wouldn't seem fake or forced. That's exactly. It. And I think the fact that, you know, we don't have one crow, like we are, we have me one Superman, one Batman or whatever, you can really go with whoever you want. So, uh, I'm still waiting for this new Crow movie to come out. I mean, it's been in development hell forever, but uh, apparently it is going to happen. And uh, Hollywood has kind of confirmed it will. But now between the writer's strike and the actor's strike, who knows how many projects that were going to be developed, we probably won't see for another couple of years. So there is also that to, to consider. Exactly. There's also that to consider now, of course, with the writer's and actor's strike 
as 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 it stands, or directors strike. I guess it's in general, actors, directors, and writers are all striking at this point. So let's then get to ratings, uh, Keith. What do you give this movie out of ten? Oh, do, do I have to? <laughs> do, do I really, really have to? Uh, I mean, I'm, you're you're gonna laugh at me, but uh, I was looking on IMDb, and the average user rating is a three out of ten, and I'm honestly, I'm kind of in line with that. I, I, I don't even want to give it a passing grade. This, I might have to give it, uh, I'm, you're going to laugh at me. I'm going to give it a 4.5 because it is just, it's so all over the map. If they had picked a lane and stuck to it, I think, I, I, not think, I would have given a higher score, but the cast was okay. The writing was decent. The story was sound. But the writing was just whatever it was. And then just the quality of the movie, the shooting, all the cut scenes, all the cuts within a single scene, the the obvious reshoots, just everything. It just didn't flow very well. The chemistry that just wasn't there between all the lead actors didn't help either. So there was just a lot of things wrong with it for me to give it anything better than that. Well, I mean, I, I I think that's more than a fair point. I mean, should we say from a pure movie viewing perspective, as in, does it tell a good story? Is direction good? Is the music good? Not really. And uh, you could probably, if you <laughs> no, just look at it purely. No, no, and maybe. If you, exactly. If you're looking at it from that perspective, this movie probably does deserve zero because yeah. it really has really not much going for it. If you are looking at it from that lens. If you bring in, I think, the entertainment lens, then it, 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 is an it is an entertaining movie. I will say that. I mean, as bad as it is, that's why I said I didn't, and at the top of this review, I did not hate it. As in, it's not like I never want to see this movie again, and if it crops up somewhere, it will be too soon. That's not how I feel exactly, because funny enough, I might actually revisit this down the line just for the heck of it to see why? How my feelings change. <laughs> I know I'm a, I'm a glutton for I'm a glutton right. for punishment. Oh. Is this before or after the night of going out and drinking benders? I mean, like it's I, a I perfect like it drinking movie. That's what it is. Ooh, I think yes, I could see that. I think it's you know as they would say, it's definitely a good time when you're drunk. When it comes to this movie, if you you know have imbibed in some you know adult beverages or, or what have you, and then you sit back and watch this. You know, com looking at it from a mystery science theater perspective, you will have <laughs> a ball with this movie. You'll literally Fair. enjoy it from start to finish. No, yeah, okay. If you put it in that th those under that lens, yes, it is very much a mystery science theater three thousand. Like, I want to heckle the movie kind of movie, hundred percent. And yeah, you know, they every time you see a crow, you do a shot, which would be great. You'd be <laughs> drunk by the you know. 30 minutes into the movie because there's that, but every couple of minutes you saw the crow flying. Yeah. So and I, I can see that. As always flying into space because you <laughs> don't really get what it's doing. I get 2005 technology. I do, but it seems mm -hmm. like he's flying in space. Yeah. He's just, just crow. He comes out of nowhere, which doesn't make much sense. If he's a, a mystical being, why is he able to get hurt with a tomahawk? Like he literally just appears out of nowhere. There's a scene where they're looking up at the stars, all of a sudden, poof, crow. And you're like, okay, it, it's mystical. All right, I, I get that. I understand. That makes sense. And then, you know, two scenes later, they're, again, he's shooting up the 
the kids and the family and everything like that. And somebody throws an ax at a crow who's supposed to be this mystic deity and gets almost killed. Seems kind of silly. I get it. it. They need to give him a weakness. I understand. But it could be something a little bit better, like a silver bullet or something. It does. And yes, the crow flight scenes, they look like a a loading screen of a video game. (laughs) Yes, yes, they do. You know, you're waiting from one level to the next. You have the crow fly light and underneath it, we've got loading with the ellipses. So, yeah. So like, like a story just taught like a tickler going across, like Joe wanders into the field and stumbles across a body. And then like it loads up. That's yes. A hundred percent. It's the loading screen. So yes, (laughs) I am curious to see if, and when we get a new crow movie, how they're going to handle the flights. I hope we won't have the crow literally looking like a loading screen. It won't like it's suspended in space because it's barely moving its wings. It always has its wings spread. I mean, I'm not an ornithologist, but you'd think the crow would have to flap its wings now and again when it's just floating through space. We do see the when we see the live crows in the film, it is flapping its wings. But when it's flying through space, it's like literally still and the screen is going through it. So I'm like, okay, I guess it doesn't have to flap its wings. Fine, fair well, enough. Well, they probably got a, a uh, some like a stuffed crow and literally just like stuck it on tape or something you know, like a bar and they green screen the stars and that's why you just see it just there stationary <laughs> fair enough yes so going back to my thing i would give it zero if i were looking at him like okay this is a crap movie but as i said before i don't hate it so i'm not going to give it a zero i'm going to give it a five because wow. i did i did find it very as i mentioned before very entertaining while i was having my calzone and uh, and I was having my my beverage, and I was you know kind of eating away and watching it, and like eh, this is not half bad. I don't see why people hate it so much. I'm like, oh, there we go, plot hole, plot hole, plot hole, <laughs> and there it is. <laughs> so yeah, okay. I now like I how you go from zero to five. Like they're, they're, you could have gone to like a three and a half or like a four. You're like, no, I'm gonna give it a five. Like that is technically passing, kids. Everybody, I was expecting him to give it a worse score than me, and I gave it a four and a half. I mean, as I said, because. It kept me entertained. It was a, it was a lazy. It was a Sunday right after I'd finished my radio show, so I sat down and watched. I'm like, I'm kind of looking forward to this movie, and so um, yeah, I, I suppose mainly I was looking forward to it because I want to see horrible people get their comeuppance. That's the main, main reason why I watched it. I, I enjoy the Crow movies. Yes, okay, I do love the whole love stuff. So don't come at me, folks. I, I do like the whole <laughs> city burns, but real love is forever. I I'm, a, I'm a, I love love, of course. So I'm happy. He's a romantic. To, I am a romantic at heart. So yes, I do love the love stuff. But the main reason is to just see people, bad people, getting killed in interesting ways. So I guess that's a. Uh, and here they weren't particularly Doing interesting. Ways. Yes, <laughs> and here it. they weren't particularly interesting. So no, um, they really weren't. It was very boring. No. Exactly compared to once again the first Crow movie that was. Those were creative choices. You know, they were more fun. So, eh. I or guess we'll compared to the Toxic Avengers, which we all know how good that movie was. Oh, yes. And uh, folks, no no fear. We'll, we'll be looking at those to the Toxic Avenger movies for sure. So <laughs> those are coming up eventually. Wait. <laughs> <laughs> wait, it's always a good time to to visit some trauma trauma films. So I guess one, I mean, one George can't... Clooney got his start with Traumaville. Hey, well, you know, if he can do it, anybody can. Exactly. So like you said, if, if folks like George Clooney and uh, Trey Parker and Matt Stone from South Park and even James Gunn, you know, Trauma did give us quite a few great people. Surprising number of people. Exactly. So there is that. 
So uh, yeah, it's a five for me. So get to recommendations, Keith, for any of those folks who rated this movie and did not give it a zero. What would you recommend <laughs> folks check out? I mean, it's hard. Um, I would check out the source material. I would definitely check out the original Crow. Um, even the second one wasn't a terrible uh, watch. So if you're a big Crow fan, the TV series was also decent, even though it did only last a single season. I was a fan of the TV series. Um, I had to go back and refresh my memory, but I do remember watching it when I was younger. It came on at like 1 a.m. on one of the local channels. So it, it was a decent watch. Um, ironically enough, I'm going to recommend The Spirit, which mm. is another movie that is based on um, vengeance and resurrection and characters that are completely way over the top. Thank you, Samuel L. Jackson. But yes. that is just his acting style. Um Let's see. Anything else? Mm, Sin City, the original. The first, mm. I can't say original. The first Sin City. Second one, A Dame to Kill For. Not terrible, just not as good as the first one. Mm. I will agree. I think um, that um, the, first, you know, the first Sin City movie was definitely groundbreaking in its own way. I mean, just the use of comic book style film, you know, kind of filming a movie in a comic book style, making it really look like a literally a comic book has come to life was very clever and very inspired. And I, frankly, I very much enjoyed that movie myself. Not as much as the, what can be said for the second one, but the second one does have its, um, its high points. That's exactly, it does, you know, so um, there are some fun things like folks getting their fingers broken or, (laughs) or uh, things like that. So, so it does have its, it does have its, 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 its merits. Other than that, yes, I will agree that um, if you want to check out uh, the, the, the comic books, the James Obar comics, I think are definitely worth your while. And, uh, you know, James is still doing, he's still alive and well and doing great. You know, he's he's in his 60s now, he's 63, so he's still a pretty young guy from Detroit, Michigan. So if you want to check out what he ha- has to offer, be sure to do so. And I would definitely hope he'd get to uh, write a Crow movie, but we shall see. And then going back to the... Um, the Sin City sequel, Ava Green, is definitely a highlight. I will say that. But uh, Fair. Uh, exactly. So that's that's what that movie's got going for it. So, folks, of course, if you do want to weigh in on the movies that myself and Keith discuss here, you can uh, shoot us an email, either in audio or written form, to happinessanddarknesshow at gmail.com. Once again, that email is happinessanddarknesshow at gmail.com. You can show your support by giving us a like on Facebook, where you'll find us as Happiness and Darkness, or you can also follow us on the Twitter machine. We're at High Darkness Pod. Also, if you are listening to us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, be sure to give us a rating and review as this very much helps the show grow and allows us to continue to bring you the podcast you deserve. And a big thank you to those who have already rated and reviewed us. We really appreciate the kind words and, of course, the, uh, the, the ratings indeed. And to Keith, when you're not here discussing such movies as The Crow Wicked Prayer, where can folks find you on the interwebs? Uh, well, I'm always trolling our Facebook page. I love talking to our user base. You know, a couple of the guys have made, guys and gals have made recommendations for movies that we will eventually be getting to, uh, I think in the next month, right? I, I think that's when it is. Um, when I'm not here talking about comic movies, I have another podcast with a mutual friend of ours, uh, John Seymour and Jason Gurren. It's called The Hour of Comics is Upon Us. And we talk about comic books the source material uh we talk about different topics different things that we notice different observations usually it sounds like a half drunken mess 
but ironically enough, we're all sober and it's just, it's a good time. You can't help but laugh at us because we laugh at each other. We uh, just recently did the Fantastic Four versus the X-Men from 1987. And then prior to that, we had um, the, what was it? The Avengers versus the X-Men. So weirdly enough, we're on this weird x-men hate everybody rampage but don't worry we we you know we had a good time and it was all done in, in jest but you can find us on facebook definitely check us out i think we're also if i remember correctly on youtube and on all the other major streaming platforms fantastic well folks definitely check out the hour of comics is upon us it's definitely a fun fun show to watch and yes indeed uh, you will definitely find yourself laughing along with this great trio of gentlemen indeed and when it comes to me, you can find me at my day job, uh, the Whiskey and Cigarettes radio show, where we play today's country, traditional country, and everything else in between. And about that, you can visit our website, which is whiskeyandcigarettesshow.com. Podcast-wise, myself, Rachel Friend, and Zan Sprouse can be found on Gold Standard, the Oscars podcast. We're reviewing all the Best Picture winners in chronological order. This coming week, we will be taking on Slumdog Millionaire. Of course, that was Danny Boyle's best picture winning movie director, known, of course, for such movies as Train Spotting. And last but certainly not least, myself and Charles Skaggs can be found on The Fandom Zone, where we're currently reviewing Secret Invasion, the latest MCU TV show starring, of course, Samuel L. Jackson. And they're having a blast doing that. So that is The Fandom Zone. And speaking things to come on this show, next time we'll be taking on the 2007 Patrick Archibald and Jay Oliva film, The Invincible Iron Man. So, Keith, anything else you'd like to add or any, any, any thoughts you have on our upcoming movie before we sign off? Uh, you know me. I'm always a fan for everything we have going on. Uh, hopefully, I won't need any brain bleach like I do for this last installment of The Crow. But, you know, it's being Iron Man and me being a comic book nerd. I'm looking forward to it. This is actually going to be a first watch for me. And I love the fact really? that this podcast. Yes, this podcast allowed... It. Oh, I'm glad. Well, because, uh, um, yeah, this, uh, thanks to this podcast, it's allowed me to dive into certain films that I've kind of been putting off for forever, especially the animated universe of both DC and Marvel. So really looking forward to seeing this, this particular version of Tony Stark, a.k.a. Iron Man. So, of course, that's where we will see you next, folks. Thanks, as always, for listening to the show and supporting us. And we'll see you next time. So until then, stay super. Ciao.